0: Welcome to The Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. This is the second part of our Indigenous Voices series, and I am thrilled to have Sequoia Dance-Layton here. Sequoia, how are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? So, so good. So happy you're here. And I'm really excited to talk to you, partly because we really haven't talked much about what we're going to talk about, And so I'm just stoked to dive right in and hear what you have to say and hear where this takes us. As we first connected back when I posted the first part of this series and a mutual friend suggested I interview you and you were awesome and said yes. <laughs> and so now I'm really, really stoked to hear what you have to say. So tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, awesome. Um, I'm happy to be here. Thank but na na uh, Sequoia Dance Leighton. Hi, I'm Sequoia Dance Layton. I'm an enrolled member of the Shoshone-Bannock Tribes and a descendant of the Assiniboine Red Bottom Band from Fort Peck, Montana. And I am currently living on Nimipu lands in. Alapway, Idaho, and I, my husband's uh, Nimi Poo, which is also known as Nez Purse. Yeah, so that's where I'm at right now. I, oh I, so let's see, where do I even start? I grew oh up no. in <laughs> it's kind Such of a hard P- question, P- huh? Oh.
0: I think the <laughs> hardest, the most basic, but the hardest.
1: <laughs> so I grew up in um, Pocatello and worked in fort hall when i was younger and and connected i think more when i became a teenager through more with my cultural practices through working on the res and my favorite job to this day will always be fort hall recreation and um, being able to work with the youth there really taught me a lot but it also connected me to the community in a way that was much deeper and then i got into college at washington state university so i Went there for my bachelor's degree and met a lot of cool natives and non-natives all from all across the country. I um, made a lot of friends from Hawaii and um, Samoa and also some of the natives from from Up This Way, the Coeur d'Alene and Nez Perce. and I got to shape a little bit more of my cultural identity through uh, talking about our experiences through education and through our program and um, just kind of comparing and contrasting the differences between our traditions and languages and and all of that kind of fun stuff so uh, once i graduated from there i moved on to get my master's degree from arizona state university on um the okamo o'atham land and that was really cool because arizona is like they have 22 tribes across arizona and so going to Arizona State University, they have the highest population, they serve the highest population of Native students. So oh,
0: wow.
1: I even furthered my understanding of my own cultural identity by exploring that with other Native students there as well through, through our education. And I got my bachelor's degree, I guess I should say, in human development. And I got my master's degree in social and cultural pedagogy, which everybody is like, what is that? <laughs> it's just kind of a fancy way of saying, the way that we teach and learn, but through a social lens. So uh, it doesn't necessarily mean formal schooling, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not <gasps> inside
0: of formal schooling. Ooh, I like that. Yeah,
1: and so now I am at Washington State University again, and I'm getting my PhD <gasps> with cultural studies and social thought in education. Go you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so
0: Did you know anyway. you wanted to go that far?
1: Absolutely not. No, I was. Um, I remember sitting in my statistics class in my bachelor's degree, yeah. and I was like, "I'm never ever going to be a researcher because I hate this." So yeah, much. yeah, not into it. And the professors would always say, "Like, oh, you better get used to this if you're going to get a master's degree." And I was like, "I'm not going to get a master's."
0: You're degree. like, "Well, that makes that decision
1: definitely <laughs> totally yeah. not getting yeah. one." <laughs> and so I was a first-gen student, and so at that point, I was like, just getting a bachelor's degree is enough, you yeah. know, like, that's that's my highest sight. But I was a uh, representative for my tribe. I was Ms. Shoshone Bannock, and Ooh. I got to speak at a conference, and at that conference, I ran into a man named Dr. Brian Brayboy, who kind of spoke with me about Arizona State University. And I, I told him, I was like, first of all, Arizona is way too hot. I don't want to go there. <laughs>
0: first thing's <laughs> and first. And second of course. all,
1: <laughs> I don't want a master's degree, but he explained this program to me. And um, it really did align with what I wanted to do. And I recognized that I still was kind of, I graduated with my bachelor's in three years. So I was still pretty young and kind yeah. of, I, I don't feel like I was ready to dive back into community work or, I didn't understand what it meant, I guess. So uh, yeah, so then I I went to my master's degree, and after that, I was like, nope, there's no way I'm getting a PhD, this sucks, I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And now I I worked for a year um, as the director of a program that helps students transition in their first year of college, and I was like, man, a nine-to-five is not my thing, like, I'm not very good at this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I applied for my PhD program and now here I am. <laughs> Good for you. And how PhD has it been that? now that you're in it? Been I think a lot more of a roller coaster ride than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um I think a lot of us when we I think this goes for anybody. I think when we <laughs> yeah. complete education we're like on top of the world and feel like we have all this knowledge. Oh yeah. Um oh, yeah. and then you kind of have to be humbled by the world. Oh yeah. And so yeah. Um, Repeatedly, yeah. Yes, very repeatedly. Cycle. (laughs) Regular basis. Yes. So when I applied for my PhD program, I was really excited and felt like I had a really good direction on where I wanted to go. Um, And I knew that I really wanted to focus on, you know, amplifying Native youth voices and Native youth stories. Um, And then I got into my program and because everything has been distance learning this um, year, it was really tough to adjust because uh, when you're in graduate school programs, any program really, your cohort, your people that are going through it with you are so important and I didn't get the opportunity to like meet my cohort. Oh and yeah. I didn't get the opportunity to like even see some of my professors face to face until the very first day of school and 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 I'm also the only native uh in my program. And so it, wow. it I think I it was an adjustment that I don't think I was ready. I just dove in because I was like, "Oh, I I totally don't want to work a 9 to 5 anymore. I'm ready to go back to school." Yeah, yeah. And there was so much more that like to consider that I think I did to prepare myself for the journey.
0: Is that a good thing or a bad thing though? Cuz sometimes if you prepare yourself and this might be off track but sometimes if you actually do the prep then that convinces you to bail not that you necessarily would you know what I mean but sometimes when you just jump in sometimes the best way to do it
1: no I'm happy I'm happy that I did it the way that I did it because one I, I needed that like humility and um I needed to be able to learn the lesson of taking a step back and looking at things from a more broad view and thinking about my my impact in in the work that I'm doing. So I think had I been more prepared, I probably would have just gone through A B C and D and not even thought about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely one of those people that's like I'm just going to go in and see what I learn from it and yeah. It makes it difficult sometimes yeah, but yeah. the the learning journey i think is almost more important
0: than the product yeah that's a good way to put it so what does your day-to-day look like then
1: oh wow that's where you are now <laughs> yeah
0: you have a lot going on
1: yeah yeah so i currently am a graduate assistant and so i work for let's see let me get this acronym right the Center for Native American Research and Collaboration at WSU. So I am working on a couple of different uh, NSF grants with them, and um, one of the cool things that I I get to work on right now is we're working with a few different local Native communities to create curriculum that really balances um, culture within the sciences, and so That's a really, really fun one. And and with that, I get to plan um, a summer camp. So most of my days are uh, busy planning, I guess, fun things for kids to do that still incorporate culture. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then then I get to – I usually have classes in the evening, so I get to to go to class and – you know we talk about things from social theory all the way to the educational bills that are going through right now. And so uh, it's kind of it's kind of a cool program um, because we get to really think about the way that culture and popular culture, but also you know our indigenous culture and um, black culture and everything make make their way through. Uh, education and mm. um, ways that they're silenced, ways that they're amplified, and yeah. then um, think about the ways that that in- impacts our youth. So it's it's fun classes, but it, it gets you thinking. And sometimes we talk about this all the time in our program. Sometimes you get into this doom thought, like, yeah. <laughs> because mm. we're constantly talking about like, oh, this happened today. And yeah, then yeah. this happened today. And,
0: yeah.
1: um, just thinking about all of the policies that are going out um, right now. Uh, can be really really stressful for somebody who's trying to change education so oh gosh I can imagine <laughs> we try to balance that like okay let's stop talking about all the negative and yeah. talk about what we could do or what what
0: is happening so that's so important uh, that's so important to yeah. balance it too so you oh, yeah. don't just feel destined to doom <laughs> oh to yeah you and can I, actually have a voice and some room to move and to make a change and do something yeah yeah. Yeah. That's, I think,
1: our uh, advisor calls us activist scholars because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of us in the program are. And I mean, I guess you, you pretty much, to be in the program, you're you're pretty much an activist in any, yeah, yeah. any form.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um,
1: and I think that that's something that, uh, especially this year, we've been, I, I've been navigating specifically of um, the energy that it can take to not only... Um, fight for certain issues but also just thinking about them and uh, I like that I like that
0: not only just fighting but thinking about certain issues yeah it's really good yeah
1: and I think about like for me specifically I'm so hyper focused on youth like that's that's where my heart lies Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to be like okay Sequoia you've got to turn this thought off because you have to take care of yourself you've got to you know listen to your body listen to your Give yourself that space, yes, or else you're not going to be here much longer to to do this.
0: (laughs) Gosh, Uh, you just dropped some major truth bombs, just all that you said. I am so excited that we connected, yes, so important. Everything that you just said, your
1: posts, and I'm like, oh, that I totally
0: align with that. So, good, yay, okay, yay, and what a fantastic and crucial area too that you just described and outlined and working with the youth and amplifying their voices and describing where they're amplified and where they're silenced and that's ever important right now too and then yeah and then balancing the positivity with the reality and the negativity and then also caring for yourself too because you have to you're not going to be any good if you're depleted and you're maxed out yeah
1: yeah, yeah. And that's something that like I think my husband's like A one for this. He's so good at being like, Sequoia, you try to teach the youth this, this and this, but are you doing it? Yeah. Like are you are you valuing your knowledge? Are you valuing your your voice? Are you valuing your sleep and your time? And so I think it's it's all about that balance of yes you know, we can't just leave it on the next generation to be better than us. Like, we have to work with them to also break down those toxic cycles, like, yep. inside of our own selves that we've gotten used to. To Because I guess we just can't lay it all on them. It's not like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm only 26 years old. I have a lot more time to make a difference in this world. So I can't just uh, be like, oh, the youth
0: will get this next time. Right, next I know, when. I know. And. <laughs> that's an important part too is to start with yourself and break those toxic cycles within yourself because then that has a ripple effect and then that brings the generational healing and can heal that generational Mm -hmm. trauma that is passed down and it starts with you yeah
1: right right yeah that's that's, the best way to start yeah yeah so that's kind of what um I'm leaning towards in and I'm early on in my PhD program so I haven't had to specify my dissertation yet and Uh, What I hope to, to work through in these next couple of years is how to build structures and frameworks for our youth to really have a place to grasp onto that can guide them through their own healing process and not necessarily defining it for them. So we're not saying... Hey, you have to do this this and this and then all of a sudden you're gonna be healthy and you're gonna feel good yeah. um but really diving deeper and figuring out how do we ask youth questions that are meaningful to them but yeah. also like help them yeah because school is so full of right now um school is so full of questions that help adults right mm-hmm. like <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we're asking you to do something for us or myself. Um, I'm asking you to follow directions because I don't want to deal with you today. Like I can't deal with your teen attitude today because I don't have the capacity for it. And so I'm hoping to kind of switch the frame and really talk about co-learning and existing and taking adults a little bit off the pedestal and more into a space where we can recognize that we're all human together oh my gosh i and love that, this so much uh, yeah <laughs> so it's it's i mean i it's not clear on what it's gonna be but i think that that i'm excited to kind of look more look deeper into wellness from an indigenous perspective because you know even traditionally we we learned in and. Like, we live in a modern world, so we can't, you know, model everything off of traditional um, behaviors, but we can take the traditional values from those structures of learning through doing, learning through example, learning through failure, and um, start to bring back those concepts and kind of forget that that failure is a bad thing, and kind of dive into it more and embrace it and and thank ourselves when we do fail, because we're we're still trying i think and um so yeah that's that's a little bit about where i'm going with my dissertation but very very relative to to kind of where we're at today and and um, how we're
0: asking the youth to to participate in learning i love that and i love empowering them like you said asking them the questions connecting with them instead of just telling them or instructing them and drawing from their insight and their knowledge and their experience and not just subjecting them to the rigid confines of what's been said or what's been done or what's convenient for adults or what we need and learning from them and we can all learn from each other I mean you hear that but that also applies to age and to youth so Mm
1: -hmm. gosh
0: I don't know about you but I learned so much like I have a niece and I learned so much from her and learned so much from the youth and reconnect with things that I had forgotten and basic life truths and so many good nice. lessons and nuggets that you can glean from them and not just telling them how it is but connecting nice. with them where they are so you can like forge that path together and the new path like you said in balancing between the old way and the modern way and yeah yes going through that together and balancing it all that's fantastic
1: yeah yeah so- i think about uh conversations with know my parents and i'm sure even my grandparents of um how you, you always hear like oh when when i was young i didn't have this or yeah you have it so easy because this this and this and um i had to remind my my parents my dad specifically that that you know every generation Is like holds some kind of animosity towards the generation that comes after them,
0: yeah.
1: Um, Because technology is growing like tenfold,
0: yeah.
1: Right, like my my older siblings didn't even have cell phones, and um, I've had a cell phone over half of my life. And the new generation underneath me has never gone without a cell phone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So. Just simple things like that. It's changing the way that we look at the world, and there are some there are some things that you know technology is helpful for, and there are some things where it maybe not mo- It's maybe not the most helpful thing yeah. um, as a human. Um, but at the end of the day, even though you know people who are in Gen Z or even younger are experiencing life an easier, I don't want to say easier, but are more connected through technology, have answers right at the fingertips, mm-hmm. they still are navigating the world. Like they're still having to constantly um, exchange what it means to be them in yes. this world. Yes. And in some ways it's a lot more difficult. Like body image is a lot more difficult these days than it used to be. And, and, and I can't say, I guess I shouldn't even say more difficult, but it's different. different um,
0: yeah.
1: And it's so much more accessible to be seeing, you know, these perfect images of of what it means to be, you know, a girl and what it means to look like a girl. Yeah. And, you know, how you should work out if you want a bigger butt and all of these different things. Um and shifting beauty right ideals. Yeah. Yep. Right, right. They're right at the fingertips of these youth. Mm-hmm. And so they're having to navigate that where it's like, okay, maybe maybe like four generations ago we didn't have to navigate that, but we we were you know, looking at, looking at other difficult things of, um, but it was, there was a simplicity to life, right? Like it was a little bit more like you either talk to someone or you don't, it's not, there's no like instant messaging or anything like that. So anyway, kind of a little bit of a tangent, but I just feel like
0: all relevant. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Like we're all navigating. And I think every generation has this idea of what ideal is. Like, I know that you know, I know what I want my life to be like, but just because I want my life to be like that doesn't mean that the like my kids are gonna think the same thing. and Ooh, uh,
0: I love how it's, just like so subtly, like you are <laughs> dropping <laughs> yeah. major truths. Yeah, that's so good. That's so true. Yeah. Such a thought provoker. Oh, I try. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's what that's what being in a PhD program gets you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> love it yes just because your ideal is your ideal right now doesn't mean that will be the next generation's ideal right and
1: and we can learn something i think that's something that i've learned from traditional stories and just things that that have been passed down through story is that you know there wasn't one way of doing things um there were protocols to follow for ceremony and stuff like that but um if there was a youth i know I can think of a few examples of like an elder telling a a younger person how to do something but not giving them a ton of detail on how to do it Mm -hmm. and i feel like nowadays we would look at that and see it as setting somebody up for failure um but in in my perfect little head (laughs) (laughs) i guess i think of of that elder uh leaving out the details to see what that young person might come up with and yes. maybe they come up with a process that's easier maybe Innovation. they come up with a more
0: process yes
1: yeah. yes and so I think we look at those those opportunities as really scary and instead we can kind of embrace it and again it just goes back to like not being scared of that failure yes
0: I love that and the older generation sometimes I feel like there's a lot psychologically that could be going on when oh, yeah. they just want to tell the younger generation this is how we do it and if the younger generation defies that or resists that or just <laughs> dismisses that it can almost feel like an affront or an insult like well that's not oh, good yeah. enough or you know and I feel like that humility to and the wisdom To structure it like that to give just enough but then to allow enough free space to where there is room for innovation that's where the magic can happen and that's where a better way can emerge or a different way not necessarily a better but a different way but I mean innovation nonetheless and it's when you are open enough and humble enough to leave space for that that's really when true progress can happen or it will trigger your own innovation, you know. Like, there's so much that can happen if you if we just stay open and humble enough, young yeah. or old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's yeah. I mean, that's, it's that's important that's too, from the youth perspective too, to be like, okay, well, I want to do it differently, or I want to do it this way, and that's the outdated way. And so there's wisdom mm-hmm. and something to be gleaned from the old way of doing it. You know, old doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean bad or outdated
1: yeah yeah absolutely i think it's i think it's so funny when i get into classrooms or youth camps or what have you and i (laughs) i um i am by no means perfect either i get really (laughs) like this is how we should do it and i have to get i have to wait until a kid asks a question then i'm like oh i'm being too strict I (laughs) i need to figure this out but i get into classrooms and um i think it's so funny when kids will say something like oh can you tell me how to do this and i asked them a question back so i'm like how how would you do it how do you think and they think that i'm like mad at them for not knowing
0: oh yeah yeah
1: yeah like i like they just got in trouble and i'm like no you know and so these conversations with kids it's so um it, it makes me laugh but not not laugh at them but just laugh because uh, I I think it's so funny how serious adults take something yeah that's for sure <laughs> I'm included like I'm yeah. I'm one of them and yeah. um, I was just telling one today that you know your life is meant to be lived it's meant to be it's meant to be fun like mm-hmm. you know we're we're in school learning but it doesn't mean that you have to be serious yes. all the time like yes. you can explore different pathways you can laugh with your friends about it you can talk you know imaginatively about about the world in the future so
0: yes uh, and if you approach it that way with a curious open fun mindset i feel like the world just opens up and becomes more enjoyable and then you can make even more connections ironically you know than you necessarily would with the more rigid mindset right
1: right yeah i definitely um I definitely see that a lot. I see it, it but it's hard. I think it's hard to, um, especially when you're somebody who's not like permanently like seeing these kids every single day. Oh sure. Um, I just get a glimpse of them every now and then when I'm when I'm lucky to when I'm gifted that time, mm-hmm. and so um, I think that I, I guess what I hope to do <laughs> yeah. in in my future is is help to inspire also adults to and teachers. Um, you know, we're all teachers, I think, in our different ways, mm-hmm. but um, teachers that are working specifically in the education system to think about, you know how to make our, how to make our lives you know a little bit easier too. and and teaching can be a really, really rigorous job. and I, I don't think it's as appreciated as it could be by oh, a lot of people for but sure.
0: yeah. <laughs> I second I that. that. yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. yeah. For sure, I,
1: I've seen it. I've seen it a lot this year, specifically too, with COVID. Yeah. And so, um, exploring these new ways, exploring ways of, and maybe new old ways, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can can help maybe us teachers to to feel a little less um, pressure for that perfectionism and yeah. pressure for producing students that are you know going to contribute to society and more of like recognizing the humans in front of us that are exploring the world and they're going to contribute to society no matter what I think that's something that people get so scared of but um, instead of I guess pressuring them to go one way or another way being able to have more of that relaxed and there needs to be structure like I I, I understand that that's important but having that more relaxed um, feel and look at the students I think
0: can also change the well-being of our teachers. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah, helps. That's a win-win. Yeah, if you can have that yeah. <laughs> more relaxed mindset, for sure. And okay, so so much to dive in here with you, because I want to really get into the granularity of your work and all of that. I don't know if yeah. you can hear my dog in the background. <laughs> I she loves. To- okay, good. <laughs> Anybody, if you can hear her she started she's old and so she started to make sounds in her sleep and she likes to be by me wherever i am so just <laughs> listen and understand what it is yeah <laughs> okay so this is kind of um a tangential question but what do you do for self-care to keep yourself in the game
1: yeah, I think
0: that um,
1: that differs day by day, and I think it also changes as I grow. Mm-hmm. So, um, I had a really tough year with the pandemic, um, closing things down, and and being on on the reservation, um, thinking about all of the the elders that we had to protect and yeah. still have to protect, uh, yeah. was really stressful, and so. Um, I, I suffer like I shouldn't even say suffer that's a I don't think I've ever said that before <laughs> but I um, I live with anxiety and um, and with that comes depression, especially in you know the Pacific Northwest there's oh, yeah there's a lot of seasonal depression that um, comes in. so I think that this year I had learned a lot of new lessons about myself with um, I guess a deep dive into a depression this mm-hmm. this last um, winter season and because of that I i don't want to say I'm thankful for that but because of that I was able to reflect a little bit more on those self-care practices and um, think about how many things I was doing um, that were kind of surface level or that I thought were self-care and were actually causing me um, a lot more like mental harm
0: <laughs> yeah than
1: too. and so what I I like to do um, I've always loved working out I've always loved movement and so that's been something that I've had to create a better relationship with through um, this pandemic and just coming out of the depression season of mm-hmm. recognizing that it is movement and it's not fitness yes. and it is fitness I shouldn't say it's not fitness but It's not traditional fitness that we would normally think of as, you know, I'm going and I'm conforming my body or I am trying to conform my body in a certain way to do something that it's not doing already. Um, And I've had to change that mindset into like, I'm celebrating the moves that, the movement that my body can do and I'm challenging my body to grow a little bit more every day. Yeah. And. So that has been, like, my primary self-care, I think, pretty much my whole life. I I notice a huge difference when I'm not able to uh, work out or get into the gym. And so um, changing, but just flipping that switch has been such a huge moment for me in my life, Being growing up being an athlete, um, and then also just you know, with the body standards that we have today, mm-hmm. I think I put so much pressure on myself. I'm also um, a certified personal trainer, so oh, working in wow. a gym for a long time yeah, um, just drills into your head that you need to be something specific. Oh, so yeah. one of my self-cares is definitely movement, but I think that I explore other relationships but with like food and with rest and sleep and, um, boundaries, and mm-hmm. I think whatever I need, I gravitate towards, mm-hmm. and that's kind of, I, I give myself that space to explore, I guess,
0: would be the biggest, biggest self-care. Well, good for you for learning that almost 10 years earlier than I did. <laughs> I just it's because also learned that lesson. That all the people before me did. all <laughs> oh well, that's very humble of you, but yeah, that's something that I also learned, um, even just lately the past few months because i would approach it with okay so i have this amount of time and when i was younger i would work out for far longer than i should have than was even good so talk about doing things that you thought are good for you are actually harmful and then but even still approaching it as okay so what's going to yield the highest caloric burn or what's going to be the most intense workout that i can get for this amount of time and just focusing right. with such a fitness lens and such an intense fitness lens instead of what movement will I enjoy what will serve my body the best right now mind body and soul what will I enjoy the most R- what does my body need right now and connecting with that instead of fully viewing it from an aesthetic or a fitness lens you know which can lead you astray sometimes
1: right yeah I
0: yeah yeah and that's
1: that's I work with um, youth and community members on on a little bit of that too and it's hard because when you're so um, I think ingrained in that kind of culture mm-hmm. of you know burn, it's all over the internet too which is oh yeah <laughs> which oh, is yeah. not helpful no not but, at all nope no burn burn as many calories as you can get into a calori- caloric deficit mm-hmm. restrict your food that's one of the biggest things that i like i try to combat is oh, food yeah. restriction right and oh, dieting yeah. Yeah. um but uh it's it's tough cuz i'll get i'll get a new client or somebody who's interested in working with me and, you know, I, we always go over goals and a lot of the times their goals are, you know, lose as much weight as I need or um, they'll be they'll ask me, you know, like, oh, what's a healthy weight? What do you think is a healthy weight? And so we have to start right there of of kind of breaking down that framework and and um, instead of saying what's a healthy weight, more of like, how do you feel on a daily basis? Yes. Yes. What do you want to feel on a daily basis? Yes. Um, so yeah, it's and I work with youth who are athletes, so it's a little bit hard. I'm still learning how to navigate those conversations. Um, but I definitely think that there's a power in that mindset like, switch. There's, oh,
0: It just feels so
1: much, I don't know, I, I feel like a release almost of like, absolutely. OK, if I get to the gym and I'm not my best, at least I got there, or at least I moved my body and celebrated my joints today, or, you know, celebrated my heartbeat today. I'm happy yes. for that. And, um, but, but it does it does require that the person who is who is wanting that change, like, at, they have to want that kind of change. It's hard to convince them that the other, the other style isn't, <laughs> um, isn't where they they might need to be at that time. Yeah.
0: Well, and I also, I love that approach too, because also it re, it shifts from the aesthetic to the function and from aesthetic to health and reconnects you to your body. And so instead of, I feel like, and this kind of might be in the same vein, but when you're focused on weighing a certain amount or looking a certain way, have certain muscle definition in certain places and depending on the beauty ideal of the day, like big booties or, the thing now, and they weren't in the '90s. People were literally right. trying to work them off, and now <laughs> trying to work them back on. And so, that's so disempowering and so defeating because a lot of times you're defying your body type and your mm-hmm. genetic code and like what you will look like. No matter, I could spend all day long in the gym, and I have, and I've eaten a certain way, and I just did not look like someone else who would be doing. A, an eighth of that and achieve right. the, the ideal that I was going for and so when you shift it from how do you want to feel that connects you to a health mindset to how do I feel, how do I move th- through the world, how do I feel about how I move through the world, what's my energy level like what's my cognition like, all of that instead of what do I look like because a lot of that is beyond your control no matter what you do oh. you're not going to be able yeah. to achieve that, yeah
1: Yeah, and and I think that that, like, there are things, too, that are coded to be, you know, health, health-related yes. when really um, it's not for your best well-being. Yes,
0: um, yes, thousand percent. <laughs> I,
1: like, I think just, like, working through, working through all of the, the uh, I guess, terms that are out there and the science that's out there. And, you know, there's even, I had a doctor tell my mom that she shouldn't eat bananas because oh, no. they had to. And I was like, are you flipping kidding me? Like, she's not diabetic. I should say, like, for certain people, that might ring true to their health. But I was like, a banana is fine, mom. (laughs) Well, I'm not a doctor, and I cannot equate myself to a doctor. (laughs) But... Um, I feel pretty confident saying...
0: Yeah, anything that
1: naturally comes out of the earth, like we can have a relationship with it that's positive. I I truly believe that.
0: (laughs) And yes, and I want to talk about that too with indigenous culture and their mindset on that. But um, going back to also understanding that what is right for one isn't necessarily right for another also. So just because, yeah, a certain regimen or certain protocols going to work for one person isn't going to work for another and mm. yeah so just cluing in to your body and what signals your body is sending you and then just having like an open relationship to just natural mm-hmm. foods that you said come from the earth you know like mm-hmm. that's I mean, something I think to be embraced again unless you have a condition that precludes you from that but yeah, I mean that's very, very valuable. Okay, yeah. so I would love to hear you talk more about, well, everything, but um, <laughs> going back to your relationship with, to your heritage growing up, will you talk a little yeah. bit more about that? Yeah, so um,
1: I <laughs> I have like a, I think identity crisis on a weekly basis, and I think <laughs> that this is pretty much common with, um, I shouldn't say common, but I, I have this in common with some of my um, other mixed um, mixed Native people. And uh, for me, I, like, just recently, I've even been navigating between this, um, the term between, like, white-passing Native. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I definitely will say that I am a white-passing Native. However, I also have been, like, having the conversation with myself um, it's i'm like all nervous to talk about this i've never talked about it well thank you for
0: talking oh about it so I'm much yeah no problem but
1: i've had this conversation with myself about you know it. it's odd because i'm white passing for a lot of the year but then you know summer comes around sun comes around and like i i tan very quickly and very easily and so then i'm like and then i become like very identifiably native oh yeah um and so uh it's it's not my space to take up as a as a um, I'm not a brown-skinned Native who, um, like, politically takes on that, um, what it means to be a brown skin Native, I think, um, is the best, I guess, best way to describe that. But, uh, I, yeah, I've been, I've been working through that, I think, my whole life. And I grew up, um, my, my parents, my dad is white and my mom is Native. And I grew up a lot of the time just not allowed to really talk about the nativeness or indigeneity of myself. and um, it it was it was really difficult because i I really was interested in it and I would ask questions and it would be kind of like, you know, like, oh, we don't talk about that or you know you're that's not your only identity. so mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't necessarily allowed, I don't want to say allowed, but I wasn't given that space to explore that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as I got older and got more involved with with my reservation, I started to ask more questions and um, I became involved in, like, some of the, like, youth government stuff there, and uh, that's where I, that's where I was introduced to, you know, other people who I guess, were more like me. Um, and there were ideas about the world that, like, I just, I swore people, my teachers would always be like, you're such a backwards thinker. Or, mm. <laughs> like, Sequoia has such the, the imagination. She'll <laughs> talk about these things forever. And um, when, I, when I started meeting other, like, Native kids, I realized that, like, I wasn't that different. Like, there were yeah. other people who had that mindset, and it was, it was kind of just like a part of me, of mm-hmm. who I was, and I would always have these really vivid dreams as a kid, and you know, I just I've always felt like this little like crazy black sheep of <laughs> like just walking around in my own little world. But <laughs> uh, but finding finding that community like really helped me, um, but also humbled me because, you know, as as somebody who didn't necessarily grow up knowing and learning my culture um, right off the bat. I had a lot of work to do, and though it wasn't fair that it was my responsibility, it was still my responsibility um, to, to take on that effort and to make sure that I was listening to the stories and listening to the elders. And you know, sometimes you're not accepted in those communities and, and in those stories and in those ceremonies, and, and it can hurt really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time I had to recognize why and then also recognize what I needed to do to um, to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of there's a lot of trauma I think in our communities. I don't, I don't think I know there's a lot of trauma in our communities on what it means to be a mixed native and I think one of the most humbling experiences was in um, in Arizona, where I had to realize that just because I knew culture and just because I worked really hard to to define who I was and what it meant to be like Shoshone Bannock for myself, didn't mean that I experienced the same um, discrimination as as my brothers and sisters and and so um, my my cultural identity, I think. I, it really, really is evolving um, every single day because I get the opportunity to to learn not only my culture, but also the culture of my husband. Um, and so learning language and learning stories, I think, were like the two biggest things that I've learned about my own self and my own journey as being so important in in recognizing what it means to be a Native, what it means to be Indigenous, but also um it, it helps you to expand those relationships to the land. When you learn the word for you know water, when you learn the word for mountain, you you start to feel it in a different way and understand the world in a little bit of a different way mm-hmm. um, that helps you see it in in the way of your ancestors, in the way of the people who who had been stewards of this place before you. Um, so, Anyway, I think I think that, that my relationship with myself is is ever ever changing, but my relationship with my identity is is um, it's it's a I don't want to say a job, but it's a full time <laughs> full time thing that yeah. I am constantly having to check myself and say, you know, am I speaking for somebody who should be speaking in this room instead of me, um, or am I do I have the opportunity to make space? for other people who should be speaking in this room. Um, I think those are questions also, we should
0: be a- Oh, sorry not to interrupt you. Oh no,
1: I think no those you're are good. questions
0: we should be asking ourselves too especially the whites, especially those people in places of privilege.
1: Right. Whatever you're yeah. identifying
0: with. Those are questions that we should be asking. Am I should I be speaking up right now and can I or should I be making space for another to speak up to amplify their right. voice? Yeah sorry
1: go ahead right no that's that's just i i think um you know recognizing your privilege i think it's Mm -hmm. such a such a difficult thing i know and i know as 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 for for white people that it's a really difficult thing to accept privilege because Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to distinguish that you know Mm -hmm. well i struggled still like but you have privilege right um and then being being a mixed native who has had to like I think I've always had to make this argument of like, no, I am Native. Right. Uh, sometimes you get so far, I I shouldn't even say you. Sometimes I got so far into that, like, no, I am Native, that I would forget to to, draw on my privilege and make sure that I'm paying attention to it. Um, and you, I, I almost convinced myself it wasn't there. I almost convinced myself, you know, like, you're Native and you you experience these things, and nobody can take that away from you, which is true. And I'm also a white passing native with privilege, with privilege of socioeconomic status now, mm-hmm. privilege of education, privilege of lighter skin, um, and and those things matter, and it's really important. And I think that I get I get kind of caught up. I think trying to, to to balance it all and not get too far to one side and say and just recognize my privilege um, and forget that my indigenous voice still is important and still does matter um, and especially I just think in the in the climate today in the in the um, I guess modern events that are happening right now it gets it gets really scary to to be a spokesperson and oh God, and sure. um I've had to just really think about what that means for me (laughs) and I, and
0: I don't know the answer to it. So I I couldn't tell you that. Yeah, Yeah, Gosh, TBD. So it's like you're doing double duty and either side. I mean, I would dare to say that white privilege takes less bandwidth (laughs) than the other side, (laughs) but you're still like, you are doing double duty because you're straddling. And Mm -hmm. that takes a lot, not only from being in either world individually, but also combining those and then reconciling both of those. That's a lot. That's Mm -hmm. a lot that you're dealing with. Yeah. And you are doing it so beautifully and so smartly, intelligently, I guess I could say it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that means a lot. I think,
0: yeah, I also learn
1: a lot from my, you know, um, indigenous counterparts who who have stepped into the to the fields and the limelights. and and I learn from their experiences mm. and I hear them and I think that the biggest thing that I, I try to remember is that there's I, I also have to kind of decolonize my mind into mm. reminding myself that there's not you know one look of a native um, yes 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 Indigeneity isn't tied to what you look like yes. Um, but the political identity that i hold as an indigenous person is and so recognizing that i can separate that po- politic or political identity mm-hmm. of how other people perceive me with you know my cultural and personal identity and and be able to say like i i recognize that i'm seen this way and that like my voice will be heard more in more rooms and um but also, I, I I my voice is important, and that yes. I do have experience yes. and knowledge and um, and cultural understandings that should be considered and shared. And hopefully, there's you know a young native little girl who is also seeing that and saying like, "Oh, I can do it!" Like there mm-hmm. is someone like me out there, mm-hmm. um, just like I experienced when I when I got to. To meet a community of people similar to me, so I think that's the goal. is is just continuing to remind ourselves that this is for this this is for Indigenous people today, but it's also for Indigenous people in the past and in the future of just yes. you know carrying on legacies, carrying on stories, carrying on who we are, and and also giving light and giving um, that empowerment back to that empowerment piece to to those who are watching and listening as we go
0: what important work so important and so rewarding too you know when you're able to illuminate that and then give hope and I mean show an example of what's possible and to share your message and to share different ways of thinking and ways of living and ways of viewing and ways of perceiving yes so much that Mm -hmm. goes into it yeah. So, what are your biggest challenges with the work that you're doing right now? What you've done in the past? I know that's a pretty broad question.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say I I I'll probably speak on two challenges. Um, one, I think is um, the challenge of perception. I think I I think when you're when you're native and you're in a predominantly white space. Uh, you kind of gravitate into this spokesperson, yeah. <laughs> um, like a tokenized um, spot, I guess. Mm-hmm. And like being on
0: a uh, podcast. <laughs> like, yeah, <no. laughs> this was totally voluntary. I promise. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sukaya. So no, no, no.
1: no, but I think like going through education, um, you hear other people's stories, and and I heard other people's stories, and I I would uh, wish that that I had. know i could relate to them or i would um in some ways be like oh i'm not native enough because i didn't hear this or i'm too native because i'm not like this Mm, (laughs) and and so i i guess a huge challenge for me has been able to has been being able to step back and focus on my own story and recognize that that is enough regardless no matter what and um i think public challenges you on that i think academia challenges you on that, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of a space that you really have to fight to stay into because um, I'm constantly asked to step out of it and speak for, you know, other Native people or speak for non-Native people, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I can't do that. It's, it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not in my story, so I can only speak for me and um, share that that experience, and if other people, if other Indigenous people, can relate, then you know we're building collective stories and collective memories. And um, if they can't, then then that's my own experience. And um, so I'd say that's been a big challenge in in completing my work and getting my work done because a lot of times I I just won't value my voice. I, I just Am I'm scared to write or scared to say something because i don't want to be deemed as you know fake or um unknowing or anything like that yes and oh yeah being able to drop those perceptions has has been helpful but also is a really hard thing to continuously do <laughs>
0: yeah i can um, imagine and whether or not you see immediately whether people are relating to or resonating with your story right. or your voice does in no way diminish its value or its need right because right especially if you're speaking on a public level or on social media or sharing it on a broader dimension you don't know who's relating to your story it's needed mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. love how you said that you have such a way with words and i love how you had framed that to where if there even if people aren't relating to your story it's collectively built upon and it's all integral and needed to mm-hmm. this patchwork and fabric that we're making and it's all needed Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah that's and yeah and I I think that my second I guess challenge kind of builds off that in that um, in my PhD program specifically I've just been really struggling being that only Native voice because I don't want to be but I also know that it's a privilege to be in the space that I'm in so I need to be um and so I guess I I'm I'm learning to navigate those boundaries too of recognizing you know because there's microaggressions up the yin yang like oh, you know I you would imagine. think that people would would uh, think about think about that kind of stuff at this level but because it's so ingrained yes. that we don't even recognize that it's a microaggression yes. so you know it's 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 learning to use my privilege and stand up and say like hey this is not okay but also recognize when i need to you know protect my sacred space and protect myself and i it's i guess that's that's one of the biggest challenges and i think probably for any native in academia is you you don't want to be a sellout you don't want to be somebody who um got to where you are and now you're just doing the work and banking off of it and forgetting about the community. And I, you know, there's no means that I think that anybody does this, um, but yeah, yeah. I think it's a fear that a lot of us uh, indigenous scholars have. Um, but then also, uh, like you, I still I still have to navigate that. Like, you know, I need to stand up. I need to say that this is absolutely not okay and it shouldn't be mentioned, you know?
0: Yeah. So. Do you mind sharing some microaggressions so people have an idea?
1: Yeah, so um, one that that it was handled pretty well in class, but one was a class we were talking about getting to know each other a little bit more. And, um, you know, spirit animals was brought up and somebody was like, You know what what is your spirit animal or you could choose a spirit animal for someone else and i was just like taken aback because i didn't realize i guess i had thought that this had already been a conversation pretty much nationally that i didn't realize that oh we're still having this okay (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) so i i sat there Uh, to try to think about you know what am i gonna say how am i gonna how am i gonna address this Uh, especially because it was you know, classmates leading the class. It wasn't the professor. Ugh. I think I would have stood up immediately if it was the professor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's almost more intimidating when yeah. it's you know. So I was waiting oh, the, yeah. for the professor to say anything, if anything, and then um, I just kind of nonchalantly passed on this article by uh, Chelsea Luger, who is one of my large influences um, into wellness and stuff, and mm. she she uh, runs Well for Culture with Thosh Collins, but. She wrote a great article on why spirit animals are, you know, like, that's just not an okay thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And I was thankful for that resource. I was so thankful for it because I didn't have to, like, come up with anything off the top of my head on, like, oh, I don't even know how to explain why this is offensive. It just is.
0: Yeah, and there's so many, like, in my first series, part of this series, Mm -hmm. we talked about the Mm -hmm. appreciation versus appropriation Right. and we had referenced an illuminative's post on Instagram but the internet is crawling with resources and people who have done the groundwork and right. structured it to provide prompts and responses to what you can say and speaking points if you ever encounter moments like this or microaggressions or you know just for your own illumination if you're a white and you're not sure how to view it you're still like working through it or learning or exploring i mean there's so much material out there for you to explore and to learn from right right yeah um and there's uh
1: just speaking of another um uh, microaggression i in every class every single class i feel like ever since i've ever been in education i always get asked the question like oh so what should we call you like is it native is it you know i hear people say indigenous and um and it's a fair question like i will say that because everybody is different but i think my biggest advice to anybody who is non-native who is navigating that that conversation before you ask Actually, listen to that person speak about mm, themselves mm-hmm. and how they address themselves. Yeah. So if they say, you know, hi, like I'm I'm Sequoia and I'm Native, then then you know, um, there you go, right there, right. Yeah. And then a better way to ask is, I heard you say that you're Native. Is that like the appropriate um, way to address you mm. or address your heritage? I guess not even address you because. Um, That was, I guess, the other thing that took me back because I was like, I guess you don't really even need to address me as anything (laughs) because I am, you know, just me. But if somebody were talking about me outside of class, like, I would hope that they would, I would hope that they would say Shoshone Bannock because I always Mm -hmm. introduce myself um, with my tribal affiliations. Mm -hmm. And so um, just kind of rule of thumb, I think most people would rather be addressed through their tribal affiliations and after that, just listen. I think just listen to to listen to native people speak, and they'll tell you what they want to be called. Yeah,
0: um, good life advice so. in general too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, listen no, yeah, to people like any yeah. identity, right? Like, yes, identity too um,
1: is often given through conversation, and um, I think it just it is so taxing to always have to be like thinking. I think. I don't know if anybody knows this, but I am constantly thinking about, like, okay, how am I going to introduce myself? What do I want to say? You know, what's going to, is somebody going to have a follow-up question about me? Um, so I always try to include, you know, my name, my tribe, and where it's from so that, like, I never get the, oh, that's cool, where are you from?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: or, oh, that's cool, how do you say your tribal name? Um, and I just, I, I don't know, I personally just try to put it all out there because getting called out, like, with with somebody who has anxiety getting called out in front of a class is like your biggest nightmare right like you never want that to happen yeah (laughs) and so um yeah these are things that I I don't know if if um you know non-native non-indigenous people really think about but like there's a lot that that behind the scenes because of microaggressions because of discrimination because of the displacement, I think, of of Indigenous people, like that, there are things that I have to think of at least as I'm as I'm navigating
0: meeting new non-native people <laughs> regularly. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is so helpful too, and constantly learning, and that's one of the reasons why. I mean, I know 2020 was a rough year for so many, but I think in a lot of ways it cracked us wide open, and brought to the surface a lot of these conversations that we need to have. And a lot of mm-hmm. these realizations that we need to have and this is part of it and the discomfort and the, the uncertainty and all of that is part of it and learning and growing and pivoting and all of that comes with the territory of recalibrating and this is important yeah to know these mm-hmm.
1: so yeah, thank you for that, sharing
0: them with us yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah that discomfort is so
1: important i remember and i'm so thankful for this year um i'm not thankful for the events that have led us to this year Mm -hmm. i think it's and even you know like i have to mention settler colonialism and you know it goes all the way back right Mm -hmm. like this is not new Mm -hmm. to any of us um it's surfacing to a lot of us but it's not new to any of us no 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 And that discomfort I I remember seeing on a TV show, and I'm just, I'm so thankful for the conversations that have been happening, and for all the activists that have been out there doing this work for years, and doing this work so that other people can do the work as well. Um, And I saw on a TV show that was like, if you're white and you're uncomfortable, before you speak up, Ask yourself why am I uncomfortable? Yes. And yes. if it roots with because I feel called out or because I feel, you know, un- like not uncomfortable, but like like somebody said something about me that's not true, mm-hmm. then like don't say anything.
0: You yes. don't get that space. You don't <laughs> to get say. that space. If you feel if you're insulted uncom- or if you feel attacked right. or you feel threat not threatened, but I guess in a way or just yeah. uncomfortable, yeah. It's no that's not your that's something for you to resolve and work through independently personally by right yeah right
1: and I was just like man that was like for a tv show it was I don't even remember what I was was watching but I was like thank you for saying that out loud and you know having that having that on you know some of our media and and tv has been helpful for me um because it it let's, I don't want to say let's me, but it empowers me to be a little less apologetic Yes, Um, and a little more, you know, like, good. I'm not going to cringe when I say white because like, it's true, you know? I know. Yes. Yes.
0: When I call out a room of
1: white people, like I'm going to call out a room of white people and they're going to feel uncomfortable and I'm probably going to feel uncomfortable, but it needs to happen. And so I've been super grateful for those, those interactions I think around me and and specifically I really have to chalk it up to all of the people who have been doing this work for years um creating that and creating those dialogues and and um situations for us to be able to to for us um younger generation to be able to be like you know what no I'm gonna say it like I'm not gonna (laughs) hold it
0: back anymore (laughs) yes as it should be oh my gosh yes so grateful for all the work that has been done that I've been able to learn from. Oh my gosh, there's so much to learn. And that's the thing, there's so much to learn. Even just I look back at things that I thought or did just months ago or a year ago or two years ago. I mean, it's a constant journey. And I think it's the kiss of death when you think, no, I'm good. No, like I'm a good person and, you know, I have a pretty good grasp on things. That's a red flag yourself like buckle up you need to learn some more there's there's always more to learn there's always more to learn yes
1: yeah yeah and I think that kind of loops us back around um I know I know we've been talking for a while that loops us back around even to what I was talking about before of just like you know, education has to make this shift and change, and, mm-hmm. and hopefully we do, um, into not thinking so much about education as being an end stop to learning. Yes. And I know a lot of educators don't think that, but, you know, the way we raise our kids in education systems, it's like, once you're done with this, then you're good. You know? Really, though, yeah. yeah, <laughs> Like, all you got to do is get this degree, and then, then you're good. You don't have to do anything after that. And, And instead, embracing uh, the lifelong journey of learning and the lifelong journey of growing and um, just even, you know, uh, listening and teaching listening differently, I think is gonna be so important in the future because we teach people, you know, how to listen. What did you say verbatim? You know, what did you see (laughs) on the screen? And instead, like, you know we've, we've got to teach those deeper skills of listening and
0: and oh i think gosh, that that's yes. where we grow as a community and as a society in general oh my gosh yes and that facilitates connection and mm-hmm. that's what we desperately need is connection and oh, yeah. yes and a life of learning and growing via whatever modality whether it's formal education informal education it doesn't stop once you get your preschool certificate your high school diploma your bachelor degree your PhD no matter what it is that's not the end of the road like and there are so many other ways to learn and people Mm -hmm. from whom to learn and I think when you view it from a curious mindset and an open mindset it makes it fun and there's so much to learn and connections to make and it's a blast, actually, you know, when you really, it can be uncomfortable, absolutely. (laughs) When you're learning certain things or unlearning certain things, it's not always easy and seamless, but it's necessary and it can be exhilarating and so rewarding and gratifying when you do commit Mm -hmm. to the journey. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I read a great piece. um, A lot of my work revolves around settler colonialism and Mm. settler colonial ideas. And I read a really good piece that that humbled me um, recently. That was like, natives are not excluded from this, which I knew. We participate in settler colonialism too. <laughs> um, not, I guess I don't want to say not voluntarily because we are voluntarily here, but yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's ingrained in our in our own reservation systems and government systems and capitalism and all of that kind of fun stuff. But. Um, just just even those words being on the paper I was like you're right like I also am participating in this and I think that that's that's where I've been learning the most too Mm -hmm. of just like it is it is so uncomfortable it really is but maybe maybe just maybe there's a comfort in being discomfortable
0: maybe there's a
1: different kind of life there right yes
0: good way to spin that I really like that Will you speak to us a little bit more about settler colonialism? It's baked yeah. pretty deeply, and it's mm-hmm. the water in which we swim. So we don't always recognize how it presents and how it manifests and how it affects us and how it's perpetuated. So this is an <laughs> yeah. important conversation.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And this is something that even in in my PhD program, I am constantly like, oh, but don't forget settler colonialism. Like don't forget <laughs> it. You know. Yeah. Oh. So I and this is not going to be perfect. So I will say that if anybody listening is interested in learning more about settler colonialism, which you probably should be, yes, um, <laughs> please, please go and do a Google search because there's a lot of Indigenous people who have done this much more eloquently than I'm about to. But um, settler colonialism is is a type of coloni- uh, like colonization that. Revolves around um, an outsider coming in and claiming um, land as their own. And so, um, America is specifically that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Outsiders coming in and saying, this land's untouched, therefore it's ours, and we, like we're native here. This is our place now. Um, and so, uh, it's it's ingrained in in the structures of even understanding like a perfect way of, of, of recognizing settler colonialism on a daily basis is maps um, borders have been drawn on pieces of paper and have been arbitrarily placed mm-hmm. and in in um, conjunction with governments that uh, rule that land and anybody who's on it um, and if if you were to take away that settler colonial perspective and see a piece of land, I guess from from my point of view of what indigenous um, indigenous worldview might look like, it is a piece of uh, the land that we're on isn't to be ruled. The land that we're on isn't to be separated. It's connected. It speaks to you know. The oceans speak mm-hmm. to the other oceans. The coasts yes. speak to the coasts, and there's no um, keeping people out or keeping people in. Mm. Um, but also, I think the other the other thing is um, that I don't think a lot of people think about is like, oh, I'm a I'm an Idaho native, right? Like people will say stuff like that, or I'm a I'm a native to New York.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's that settler colonial perspective mm-hmm. of. of this idea that, you know, like, oh, our ancestors have been here since America has been America, um, which is somewhat true because America didn't exist before, but there were people who were taking care of this land and there were humans who lived in conjunction with nature and
0: um Even that phrasing right there, power. people who were taking care of this land, whereas yeah. I feel like the colonized terminology would be people who own this land, people who had this land. Right instead of living right. in synergy with the land and it's more right. of a respect for the land like that right there just highlights the respect for the land rather than ownership of the land it's Absolutely. a big distinction yeah
1: I, yeah i think that that's like the hard thing about talking talking really specifically to settler colonialism because You know, um, I guess I don't, I don't know where people are at, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know (laughs) how deeply people have thought about these concepts of this land not being, you know, the land of their own ancestors. And even for me, I always have to recognize, you know, I'm visiting, I'm visiting this land. um, This is Nimipu land that I'm on. Mm. And because it's Nimipu land, like, I need to be respectful of the stories of the Nimipu. I need to listen to the elders and know Um, something up here i guess that people do a lot is pick huckleberries and um because people are over harvesting them they're not the plants aren't growing back and that's a first food so that's a food that's traditional to these people and and many people in um in idaho and so to just even have that knowledge of being like oh here's a huckleberry bush i'm gonna take a a berry off of it instead of thinking, is this, is this bush over harvested? Has it supplied what it needs to sp- supply to the community? Um, you know, have, have people checked on these plants? Are there things growing around it that are healthy? Just, you know, all of those different kinds of questions come into play if, if you understand the connections, I guess, between, yes. between plants and animals and humans yes, yes, yes. Um, and the environment and that's something that you know we would never understand the the government you know that has been set up has literally taught us (laughs) that we are where we are
0: to like take resources and Mm -hmm. not to just exist right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes absolutely and that's it may sound like so subtle but that's pretty profound right there and just that mindset that view of your relationship to the earth, to resources, to all of that. And viewing it from how you affect the resources around you and the people around you and how your actions have ripple effects. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes get things get pretty problematic and we've seen that. And not to get too political with this, but mm. you have some collective societies and you have some individualistic societies Mm -hmm. And a balance is typically the ideal. And so if you're looking at it through an individualistic lens, like what can I get from this? It just matters what I can get from whatever I'm taking from as opposed to, okay, so what, what can I do to contribute to the ultimate good? How do my actions affect those around me, the resources, the land, the earth, the people around me? How am I impacting them for good or for bad? And just to have that awareness, I think, is right. just paramount. It's needed, and yeah. it's lacking yeah, in a lot of places. Way. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. One good way to, I think, if any, if anybody is interested in in diving to this topic topic deeper, one good way of thinking about it is, um, not looking at this world as human centric, mm-hmm. uh, because humans weren't centered. Um, I guess. I shouldn't say like i I don't know you know what my ancestors thought, <laughs> I guess personally, yeah. Yeah. but through story and through oral tradition, we know that we as humans were not the number one living being on earth mm-hmm. um, and earth collectively as itself was like number one mm-hmm. and and um but but there was just an understanding of systems. Yes. And so there's a lot of research and some of it is, is a little bit whitewashed, but there's a lot of research around um, around like looking at this world with a less human centered
0: mm-hmm. vision.
1: Yes. And um, there's a lot of sustainability topics out there like that, so. Have you read the book, Sapiens? No, I have Are not. It's been already? recommended to me oh. multiple times. So, so oh, I feel like I should. So
0: good. <laughs> Yeah, and it, I mean, addresses this too and really outlines this and the evolution of humans and just how we have taken over the world like we own it. <laughs> just We're a lot really- of food for that there. And just What's how sad is yeah. really. Oh, sorry. I no, didn't no, mean go to ahead. Interrupt-
1: no. what's sad is we're like humans are taking over the world but then we're also like running it into the ground oh my right? gosh truth the world is not going to support us no. much longer it's not have if we keep extracting it's not um and so uh i know that there's a lot of like panic around that thought and my my um, i guess my urge to to anybody who is panicked about that or listening (laughs) who (laughs) is concerned about the environment, like, please, please, please pay attention to the Indigenous people in your area. Mm. Um, These people have tools that have been literally passed down for, like, generations and generations that, that will help us and can help us all. But it's very centered to, like, where we're at. And so if you think about, like, Um, universities and sometimes big places will do like land acknowledgements um, and beyond those land acknowledgements it's acknowledging that there are tools from our indigenous tribes and and communities that can help us understand and treat the world a little bit better um but it doesn't come without sacrifice
0: right like sometimes that means we have to give up comfort yes and i think i said this in the last episode too I have noticed, I mean, the indigenous people have the tools and the answers that we need, which is ironic because, right. you know, we would dismiss, no, 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 we have the progressive way of living. We have the whatever right. way of living that's run the world into the ground. So that's great. It's just, I've noticed an awakening and a shift where people are starting to notice, oh, wait, so maybe the indigenous people do actually have the answers and just... A re-appreciation of that and a trending back towards, okay, maybe we need to listen to them. They have the answers that we need. They have the tools that we need. We need to learn from them. And it's Mm. just a circle back, man, that we shouldn't have taken us so damn long in the first place. (laughs) But it has, and it's encouraging to see that happening. I mean, it's slowly. It needs to happen faster, I would think. But, I mean, at least it's happening and there's an awakening again to that to the value of right yeah there's definitely
1: that, that um uh i think about things like you know modern agriculture and a lot of people just don't know that when when settlers came um like native people taught these settlers how to like grow crops and fields um the burn theories, so burning, burning certain crops and that kind of stuff was, mm. was a native concept, and and uh, I think it it was like the baby bottle or something. Um, I there's a whole list if you look up like uh, native inventions online. Um, Indian Country Today posted a, like a list of things that are like came from native inventions that Ooh. were then coined by like white <laughs> people. Wow, really. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's a whole list of them, but it's stuff that I didn't even know either. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to take that and like remember that because yeah. it's just so important to recognize that like indigenous knowledge has been here. Oh, yeah. it hasn't left. No. Um, and you know, boarding schools and assimilation and the Indian um, Removal Act and all of this kind of stuff led up to um, us understanding Natives as being only existing on reservations or, you know, having to, you know, look a certain way or dress a certain way or talk a certain way. And, and like, this knowledge has existed in all of our worlds a lot. And it's just been taken and unrightly claimed by, by people who it doesn't belong to. Yes. Um, so there's even there's even like areas of that. I know I feel like I'm like deep diving into a million different topics, but it, it just all kind of relates to that. Yeah, it, it, like being a native person and trying to walk through this world um, in in a good way and make change for the youth. It also it it's helpful when um, mainstream society can also recognize that that their knowledge is important too, and that their knowledge is. You know, ingrained in us. We've we've been. Um, we have memories from our ancestors from before, you know, settlers even came here, and and those thoughts sometimes make us feel a little crazy because they're not what is accepted today. Uh, just, just that recognition of you know, n- native knowledge is important. Indigenous knowledge is important, and and indigenous knowledge across the world, right? Like there's oh, yeah. indigenous people of Hawaii and um, and Samoa and Canada and uh, Australia and you know, like they're everywhere. Switzerland, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and and the knowledge of that land is going to is going to be the most important knowledge because that land is where we're at that's where we're existing
0: mm-hmm. um and it's all of our it home. works together. yeah yep we're all it in works this together. it applies to all yeah. of us yes
1: yeah so anyway i guess indigenous doesn't just mean america that's that's um indigenous flies across the world and um and so does the knowledge there each place holds that knowledge each space um, and
0: people hold that knowledge and so amplify it use it yes well, I just would imagine how frustrated I would feel if I were to see settlers come, take the land, and then just run it, ruin it in a in a way, right. you know, that's kind of where we are without <laughs> mincing words, right. and then to just be completely dismissed and brutalized and oppressed and killed and all the awful things that went on, and, right. and then just like diminished and marginalized, and then to have the answers just to watch that happen to the earth that you used to coexist peacefully on and then to see that happen to the earth and then for people to actually start to realize and be like okay well actually we need your help now because we've
1: (laughs) ruined everything It's it's, it's like when um this is a very simplistic way of looking at it but it's like when you like somebody wants your toy you know and you don't want to share it but you're like very reluctant and mm-hmm. you're like here fine take it whatever we're not gonna argue about this and then they break it and like you know you're like trying to tell them don't do that it's gonna break it just you know whatever but then they break it and then they give it back and then they're like here like, what am I supposed to do? Just have super glue and oh, like, get it back together? Like, yes. I was already trying to tell you not to break
0: it in the first yes. place. Yes, yes, yes. If you would have just listened uh, to me this whole time, or if you wouldn't have taken it if at you all, you not taken it. Yes, exactly. And
1: so, well, such a simplistic way of looking at it, but like, that's what it feels like. That like was just so give it good. back.
0: Like, gosh. That was so good. And just little things like, our food, our fruits and vegetables don't have as many nutrients as they used to have because of soil depletion because of how we just played the short game as far as yeah, harvesting and crops. sowing our yep, our crops and then that has long-term effects and mm-hmm. that's affecting all of us. So like an apple that we eat today is they say now it's even less nutritious than it was like in the 50s. What like 30% is nutritious or something and that affects all of us and little things that it affects us little ways in which it affects us that we might not necessarily realize and that's just because we haven't lived in respect of the earth and lived with playing the long game in mind and thought right. of all of that yeah
1: right and that even like affects the traditional plans of that area if we're you know um tearing down those plants because they look like weeds or they're just, you know, unruly bushes or what have you, and then we plant these monocrops and ruin the soil, Mm -hmm. they're not, like, our
0: traditional plants can't come back. No. Um, And disrupting fauna and flora, like, introducing new invasive species or whatever, and just not having that appreciation or knowledge or insight for the earth and its inhabitants, yeah, not just humans, (laughs) animals also. Right.
1: And so, yeah, and that and that's like something where it's like you know that's irreversible. We can't. I mean, we yeah. can work on something new. Um, we can work on a new way of of respecting the land and respecting the soil and yeah. respecting the the indigenous species. But you know, we can't go back. And and that's like, I think something that I've noticed that's different with even even some of my like non-native friends, where it's like, I I, I personally. So I believe that, you know, everything I say is a prayer and everything that I do is a prayer. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't think about it ahead of time, if I don't think about what I'm going to say or think, you know, how that impacts the world, putting that prayer out there, then, you know, it could be disastrous if I'm just, you know, when you're angry and blown off steam and you just... (laughs) don't think about it and throw it out there, uh, you can't take it back. You can't go back and say, just kidding. I don't want to put that out in the universe. Um, And so the same goes for our actions. You know, everything that we do is impacting our future, our future generations, our kids, our grandkids, our great grandkids. And if we're not thoughtful about that now because we want the fastest, quickest, easiest life, then their life's going to be a lot harder than ours. and it's not going to be, you know, it's just not going to be pretty for them and 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 enjoyable. And so, and not everything should be enjoyable, right? Like there are difficult things that we have to get through in this world, but sure. if I can't say, you know, I'm going to say no to plastic because I don't need it, um, I can make my own food at home in a glass container, or I can, you know, like make my own drink at home and not get a plastic cup. then. I am, like, just contributing to the future, kind of having to work harder than us in saving this
0: world. Yeah, definitely. If there's even a world left after, you know? And that's such a beautiful way to live, is to view Mm -hmm. the words you say and the actions you do as prayers. That's such a Mm -hmm. good, aware, intentional way to live. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have covered so much ground (laughs) and. I cannot believe it's been an hour and a half. I feel like we just sat down and talked. I feel like it's been like 20 minute stops. It's wild. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your time with us. Any parting messages that you have, typically at the end of every episode, I ask the guest for any message that they have for the world. So I will give you multiple messages if you have anything because there's so much to talk about. But anything that you want to say,
1: yeah i think one i i guess i urge everybody that i meet to learn about the indigenous people of the land that you're on mm-hmm. um seek that out and you know don't extract don't try to take for your own knowledge and for your own efforts but be exploratory uh, explorative, and just um be mindful of it and and listen um to those indigenous voices and people of that specific land, if you go to um, it's native land.ca, you can see all the traditional territories of native tribe or of um native people across the nation, um, including Canada and Mexico. So, um, wow. I'll put that in the chat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I urge that, and then to um, just Remember that you're human, and that being human doesn't mean to be perfect. Mm. Um, but part of being human is a responsibility to be a part of a greater um, community of human and non-human relatives. So don't don't be so hard on yourself. Let yourself live and love and learn, and also um, be critical of of yourself and others. and and just create a better world for for you and for those who come behind you.
0: So well put. So so well put. Thank you so much Sequoia. So where can people connect with you? Do you want people to connect with you on Instagram? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah Instagram is great. Um I'm also on um Twitter. And uh TikTok
0: actually. Oh, sweet. Hey. <laughs> Starting to get out on TikTok. <laughs> Good for you. Okay, so Twitter, TikTok, what is your handle? And I'll put this in the show notes um, for Instagram.
1: Yeah, my Instagram is The Real res Wife. Um, my TikTok is Real res Wife. <laughs> <laughs> and my Twitter is
0: Sequoia Dance. Okay, sweet. And okay. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, Sequoia, for your time, your insight, just all of the wisdom that you just dropped. You are so incredible. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much
1: for this opportunity and thank you for creating a space for for Native and Indigenous people to share their voice and, um, yeah, their work. I just, I love, I love being able to talk to people. as you can tell.
0: Oh, you're good at it. (laughs) You're really, really good at it. So thank Thank you. you.